Roto-Pope episode number seven. I'm your co-host, Sean Birch, and as always, I'm joined by the Roto-Pope himself, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, how you doing, my friend? Sean, doing well. How about you? I'm, I'm a little bit self-conscious now about saying Sean because uh, we both developed our uh, sort of like intros here, and I say that every time, but I don't know. feels good. How At least you? your intro is authentic and real. I've just completely copied <laughs> our boy, Zach Lowe. I guess so, but I feel like did that on purpose we just kind of really took a liking to it and then it became its own thing um so maybe there's some uh, credit to be had there for identifying some good lines yeah i think uh i mean lines are kind of my thing apparently according to you and listener eric out there <laughs> i don't think eric listens at all oh man okay i'd like to think eric listens but yeah. shout out to uh billy early in the podcast then listener billy yeah i think billy's definitely by far our best listeners uh, he's definitely been listening closely in fact uh this past weekend right we had we had some pretty good conversation with um billy our good friends billy and krista uh in fact about personal things we may have said um on a previous podcast regarding uh ramen right that's right i mean i'm not i'm not really budging off of what i said uh <laughs> and some introspective you know i've thought about this a bit no i'm sticking with it you know ramen's kind of trash yeah. <laughs> Like I would never opt in to actually like choosing it myself. If people want to go and get it, that's fine. I'll put yeah. up with it. But no, man, it's a mediocre food. It's, it's it is what it is. Like I'm not understanding what the big deal is here. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a, a necessarily a huge deal. Anything that you said in particular, uh, I will I will back up a little bit on some of the things I had said. Um, specifically, as it pertains to, I, I actually re-listened to what we said and. Um, I was actually the one who brought it up, brought up the observation that it seems like a lot of, like, a lot more women like ramen. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is news to me. So, hold on. You were the one that made the sexist I, comment. So, I, I made the sexist comment. You, you doubled down bring it up initially. Um, so, yeah, that, that was me. And it was just kind of a silly thing to say in retrospect. I mean, it was based off one, like a sample of, you know, one. It was basically based off today <laughs> going to... to <laughs> to uh, get like ramen or pho with her friends. And, and not only that, it was ignorant and additional referring to pho that I'm not necessarily a huge fan of because yeah. the irony of this whole thing is that um, I actually just went to ramen with Jeter this past week. She, she graduated uh, from Tulsa Fullerton. And so we were celebrating and I knew she liked ramen. So I was looking up for some good ramen places, went to a really good in Orange County and Jeter really liked it actually. Hmm. And so I don't know. I actually still I like ramen a decent amount. Like, I still stand by the fact that you probably won't find me, like, necessarily seeking out a ton, but, like, I'm happy to go with Jadira and others that want to go. Um, so, yeah, it was just, just kind of an odd segment, but um, I was telling Billy this. I think, I think part of the reason I like doing this is the idea of putting our thoughts out there, um, trying to put out good quality content, and then uh, hopefully having some engagement with others as well and just improving on what we're putting out there. And I know that was... That wasn't really like content per se. It was just discussion. But I think the same principle applies as we can always be improving on, on our thoughts and things like that. So um, definitely. Right, a, a okay, so you, can, you can back away from it. I'm actually sticking with what we said originally. <laughs> Dude, that's just part of being in the media biz, right? Like you're going to throw some stuff out there and people are going to push yeah. back on it. And I'm sticking with what we, th- what we said initially, man. Like if you want to backtrack on it, that's fine. I'm sticking with ramen is trash and you will never see us. Uh, you know, like uh, planning a Roto Pope episode over uh, <laughs> bowls of ramen. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think if we include 
if we kind of uh, move that conversation to more about pho, which I don't know if I call pho trash, but I think that's really what I was getting at was like, pho is just, it's just, it's, is it really that good, man? I don't know. I've been several times with Jadira and um, it's, it's, again, you'll, you'll, you'll maybe find me every once in a while have, like looking up ramen, but you'll almost never find me looking up pho. Um, I mean, I'll go with you on that one that ramen is at least like it's, and it's best, it's, it's decent. Pho, like it's just, you're not selling me on that ever. Um, and the irony, I guess you already pointed out one ironic thing here, but I would say the irony of it is that probably since we've had that conversation, I've had ramen at least three times and probably four times. Yeah. So, yeah. Trust me, I'm getting it in plenty, even for someone that yeah. doesn't do that much. Yeah, no, exactly. And I had some, uh, I just kind of throw the trifecta on there for these various, uh, Asian soups. So, um, you know, we're, uh. We're trying to be open-minded, but still got to put our thoughts there. And I, you bring up a good point, though, is I forgot you're you're in the media business, so maybe you have a little more practice at this whole thing than me. I'm usually most of my thoughts are down behind closed doors. I mean, from the public, so I don't even know if it's that man. It's just like, look, it would be boring if we said everything that everyone agreed with, right? They they wouldn't even listen for that. You want to kind of get them riled up a bit. So if yeah. Chris is out there getting riled up right now, I think we're doing our job actually. So shout <laughs> out to Chris and Billy. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate appreciate the listens. Uh, what else do you want to BS about here before we get into sports? Oh, I just just otherwise wondering, you know, how was your weekend? It was, it was a fun weekend in that I, I saw you. You know, you don't always make it make the schlep down to, to Orange County, so it was fun to get together um, for Judea's graduation, and then right. Well, I mean, that's how you know it's a big deal, right? Because as you pointed out, I rarely, if ever, want to go down to Orange County. But I kind of had to, right? Like, this was a big deal because Jadira, as I uh, mentioned briefly on Instagram, look, she's not only a great mom, but to pull that off and get her college degree at the same time, I think is really admirable and something we should be celebrating. So, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I don't want want to get too sidetracked, but definitely worth talking about a little bit is that, um, so not, so I I don't know if many know this, but um, when we first had a little bit, I was still in school. And so, um, you know, Jeter was holding down the fort at home pretty much full time while I was going to school and trying to make sure that, uh, you know, at least the first one of us did so that we would be able to support ourselves. And um, was also going through some blues too, just, you know, new new parent, um, new new city, new area and everything. So it was, it was definitely pretty tough. The only person who really knew was me. And um, yeah, she helped me get through it. I, I graduated and I started working. We moved back down to Southern California. And at that point, I think it was a lot easier for her being close to family, kind of picked up um, some of the pieces from before back home and started going to school again and then um, transferred to California Fullerton. And um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if many, many people know this as well, but part of my job, you know, I've been working this whole time. Um, I travel a lot. So I'm gone Monday through Thursday oftentimes and try to have as many local projects as I can because my work is very project-based, but oftentimes um, I'm gone Monday through Thursday. So like recently I've been in Seattle, before I was in Portland, before that I was in San Jose a little bit of time in Montreal so I'm not always home and so she's basically you know do it do everything um, Monday through Thursday while I'm gone and then Friday through Sunday too but especially Monday through Thursday when I'm completely gone um, taking a leave to school picking her up um, helping her get you know bathed fed and while doing her homework and stuff so it's definitely pretty amazing um, all things considered there but not only that um, she's also you know first generation college student not education wasn't necessarily super prioritizing her family. And I think um, technically she'll be 
the first to completely graduate from, from college as well. So definitely quite an accomplishment, um, quite a feat. And so, yeah, definitely glad you were able to make it down and celebrate that last weekend. I mean, not too shabby at all, especially when you put it like that. And just one more thing, right? Like an excellent role model for your daughter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. And um, she studied sociology, so she's she's big on a lot of these things. But um, kids and, and families where both parents graduate from college certainly are uh, statistically on average tend to see quite a bit, quite a few more benefits, um, especially, I would say, um, given that our child is a is a female, I think there just tends to be more of that, um, you know, like they, they tend maybe to model themselves a little bit more after their mom or they look up to their mom maybe a little more than, than a male, maybe uh, maybe sons would tend to look up to their dads, I'm not really sure, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's even more important given that we do have a daughter, just kind of set that example that, um, you know, women's job is not to stay home necessarily um, in these traditional roles. I mean, it's not that they can't, but just that, um, you know, they can they can do anything in their equal to men and so I think it's a good model to set to make sure that uh, Olivia feels the same way and is able to kind of pursue whatever she wants to do. That was good because I was worried you were right about to go down another sexist rant. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. I think, uh, yeah, you can call me sexist about ramen, but um, I, I don't think that I'm sexist about gender roles, <laughs> generally speaking. All right, that's fair enough. Um, and Jadira was kind enough to go out after her graduation party this weekend and watch the Rockets get absolutely drubbed with us at a yeah. watering hole. Um, yeah. How about that? You want to jump into that? Because things have really kind of turned around for the Rockets. And when it comes to this podcast, they've really turned around for me and my bet. Yeah, they have. I, I feel like we've been kind of jerked around this whole playoffs in general. But I'll, I'll – um, well, I, I guess this round specifically, but I'll focus mostly on that series. So – after game three, yeah, you kind of thought this was going to be a, a judging, although I did call out. I don't know if it was, you know, super logical necessarily, but I was like, yeah, there's just, like, Rockets were never going to win game three. They were never going to go up 2-1, but watch out for them in game four, uh, which we did see. So we kind of saw that come to fruition, uh, whether it was sound process or not. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, game three, you would have thought, like, oh, wow, like, um, Warriors are back. Steph had 35 completely. I think he had 18 in the third quarter. Um, kind of looked like the, the same stuff Curry was seeing. So um, I wouldn't have blamed you if you were feeling very discouraged about your bet. So, um, But as we know, things have picked up a bit since then. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you were able to catch game four with all the clam pizza you were throwing down, but just curious how you're feeling now. Yeah, it's true. I was about I was knee deep in clam pizza during the game, but <laughs> I did catch the end of it live, and I did go back later and watch pretty much all the second half. And I listened to the first half on the radio, so I know everything about what happened yesterday. And I was kind of with you, too. By the time game time started, I was perking up a bit because, as we both knew, right, the Rockets just had to win one game to get it back even and get it to they have where they have home court again. Right. And the one thing – so, look, this is, I'm in a weird spot now where I'm optimistic about my bet and the Rockets in general because, right, they're tied 2-2 and they have two more games at home. But I'm also kind of paranoid because – even though the Warriors are injured a bit, it just seems like everything kind of has to break perfectly for them to win these games, right? Because, for instance, last night, okay, you had a big game from Chris Paul in the fourth quarter, right? So that helped bring him home. Harden's Dean has asked, like, Dean people up, you know, late in the game. He's stripping Kevin Durant. Like, you don't really expect that. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, The Warriors are also just clanking left and right. They actually had 
their worst shooting quarter of the entire season last night in the fourth quarter. If you were wondering, points, right? Yeah, but it wasn't even just that. It was the worst percentage wise of the entire oh, season. Wow. They were three for eighteen in the fourth quarter, which is you know less than seventeen percent. So everything really had to break right for the Rockets to make that ten point comeback in the fourth. Um, I don't know. Give me your thoughts, man. What are you thinking? Should I still feel a little more optimistic than I am right now, or is it? Am I right? Right that yeah. the Rockets really do have to play damn near perfect and hope that the Warriors screw up to win. Well, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true because they they were also on the road in that game too. So I think there's always just smaller margin for error on on the road and. Sure. Um, you know, the home team, if, if Bill Simmons is uh, worth citing, is you know, home court's worth up to 10 points a game also. So um, there, there's always that that you're working against. So, I, yeah, I don't know if I totally agree there. But, um, I mean, to your point, though, there there were some injuries that game, so it get all missed, missed that game. I don't know if he's expected to miss more time, but I think they certainly felt his impact. Um, I think I think, uh, I think the way that we most probably directly saw the impact or potentially one – major way that we saw that impact was Draymond Green ended up playing 45 minutes that game and um, potentially really might have tired out too. He he's, was probably like one of the, you know, one of the only uh, plus defenders they had on the team without with like it all down. Uh, maybe you want to throw Durant in there. I don't know. But um, so he played 45 minutes and I think he probably wore down a little bit, made some, made some mistakes. I know he, uh, he missed a box out on Ariza towards the end that uh, allowed Ariza to get a, a key offensive rebound. And so um, he also missed definitely some of that. Remember that? He, he was what? Sorry. Raymond also clanked a dunk because he was probably tired. Oh, I forget. Yeah, you're right. No, that's a good call, too. So I wonder if, yeah. That, that, that might have something to do with that. I don't know. Um, and then uh, Clay, Clay was also banged up. He So he left uh, in the second quarter, I think it was, uh, went up for a layup, came down. I think he hurt his ankle or his knee. And he was noticeably uh, not hobbling, but he was grimacing a lot throughout the game. And he came in right away and he airballed uh, a two-pointer. Two so he didn't look quite right. I know he did heat up at some points, but I wonder if he was hurting as well. So, yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. They they benefited from a couple of injuries. Um, but you got to give them credit for taking home court back, and they have home court now. So, in theory, I mean, it's, it's got to be close to a 50-50 shot to this point. I think I'm still leaning the Warriors. Um I can I can see them winning two out of three down the stretch here, even though with two being in Houston, um, no way they're lo- they're losing again at home. The way I the way I see it, and uh, I think they can grab one of these next games in Houston. So I'm I'm still picking the Warriors. What about you? Interesting. Well, look again, everything kind of is breaking the Rockets' way right now. Uh, today we found out that the Warriors updated. You know, they gave us an update on Igudala as well as Clay, and they're both listed as questionable for tomorrow's game for Game Five. And uh, I mean, even if you're missing like one of those guys, as you mentioned, everyone played heavy minutes in game yeah. four. It's looking good for the Rockets now. I will say the Rockets at the same time completely, right? Like they even won up the Warriors when it came to playing heavy minutes because they played in only seven guys in game five. That's right. Um, I saw that. Yeah. And um, I think one of those guys was Gerald Green. He only played 12 minutes too, right? So I think they played like six guys mainly. Right. But I mean, if you look at like the the key guys in the series, they all played one thirty nine minutes. Stephen Clay played the least amount yesterday with 39. So everyone, Harden, Durant, they're all hovering around 42, 43 minutes right now. Um, I don't know. You kind of just hope that if you're a Rockets fanboy like me right now, you kind of just hope that they're all going to be tired and it's a level playing field on that front. Yeah. 
No, definitely. And I, I just think the, the home court obviously has to, to play large here. Um, the Rockets won that game. I think it was the first time the Warriors lost at home all postseason. And I imagine in their three-year run, they have not lost many games at home in the playoffs, right? Like, I, it's got to be on one hand that you can count the losses, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the Thunder back in 2016 did go up 3-1 to one on them, so they took one on their court. Obviously, the Cavs took yeah, Cavs, of course. in the finals. Yeah. But actually, to your point, that was the first time I believe they lost at home with Kevin Durant in the playoffs. So that was why yeah. it was so worthy. Yeah, definitely. And so that was shocking, especially um, as, the, as the third quarter was going on. The whole first half, everyone, uh, the announcers I'm talking about, um, especially going into the second half, that, like the third quarter is the worst time. That's where they've done a lot of their damage um, against most teams, but in the series as well. They come out and they just come firing. And right. they pretty much stayed true to form. They did that. Steph went, got got uh, hot, and pretty much the whole offense did. And, man, they they just came out smoking. I think they went up, I think it was 10 or 12, and, man, they looked good. You thought they were going to run away with it. And, um, you know, they, they, do, they did pan to the sideline. And, you know, with those timeouts where they, they uh, mic up the coach. And um, I always think they're a little bit interesting, but I, I don't necessarily put too much weight in them. But D'Antoni said something interesting where he was um, – he said, look, they're hot right now. They're, they're hot. There's nothing we can do about it. They're going to cool down. Then. We're going to get our time. We're going to get hot, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was just kind of cool to see that actually come to fruition because, you know, I'm sure he's just, um, yeah, you just got to do whatever you can to keep your team keep your team going even if you don't necessarily believe it. And I, I don't think I would have believed that. I, I thought the Warriors were going to run away with it. So I was surprised to see the Warriors cool down to the extent that you said, like historically, right? And uh, the Rockets yep. take that one. That was, that was a big one. Two more things I want to address here, but real quick, I do want to kind of give props to D'Antoni because before the game, everyone was completely clowning him on Twitter for saying that the pressure was on the Warriors in game four. And he said, he's like, look, if they lose this game, then we're back on home court. And everyone thought it like, dude, Mike, you're talking like a dead man walking right now. You guys are, you know, you just got waxed by like 40 last game, but I love it. He he walked it, you know, like he talked it. So big ups. That was right. He's definitely, um, but how, how much, how much, well, actually, I, I don't know if that much blame should go to Curve because of something I'll, that I'll mention right now, but um, I, I remember as I was watching that sequence down, I, that, that very last sequence, the Rockets were up two, they missed the shot, Warriors got the rebound, and so they, they brought the ball down, had a timeout, didn't call, I think there was roughly like 10 seconds left, I didn't mind that at all, I thought that was good, yep. um, they kind of got into their offense, but then... Nothing, nothing really materialized, and then uh, Clay turned the ball and kind of got trapped in the corner, and so it looked pretty dire. And so I thought there was like five or six seconds left there. I was like, why are they not calling a timeout? Why are they not calling a timeout? So I thought it was an idiotic move. They ended up yeah. losing the game because they just Clay throws up a desperation fadeaway. It was a terrible shot, really. Yeah. Um, and so I was just wondering what the hell Curry was thinking, but it apparently came out after the game that he did him and Draymond try to call a timeout supposedly, uh, reportedly, and. Um, they just couldn't get the referee's attention, so that's pretty crazy. I mean, there's there's, there's got to be a way to get the refs' attention, right? There's not. I was thinking that too. I was just like, it, it seems odd to me that both of them couldn't get the refs' attention, especially right. on who's a loud dude and he's on the court. And yeah, replay again. He's actually really close to a ref up there by the hash mark. So either it was just, and also it didn't seem like it was that loud in the arena at the time because everyone's keeping it quiet for the Warriors to go down right. and score. Um, you're right yeah. though, but getting to clay, that's really when it should have been 
all hands on deck call timeout right now because out of all the warriors on the court that's like the last guy you actually want with his ball with the ball in his hands trying to create a shot if it gets to him naturally and he puts it up that's fine but he's not really an off the dribble creator so that's when they were sol right and and it played out that way yeah i mean especially with the other guys you have on the court um with durant and curry you definitely want those guys creating but you're right like even I wonder why Clay himself didn't try to call timeout. Like, I wonder if they just weren't coached up saying, like, we have one timeout left, let's push it, but let's take this if nothing materializes or something. It's just really odd endgame execution for a team that's been here, you know, three years in a row already. So I, I thought that was really just inexcusable um, to get that, that poor of a shot in, in that moment. I know Warriors Twitter and the blogosphere afterwards was pretty upset that they, they almost think Kerr's like, He's he's overthinking this too much, and he's he's doing too much of this democratic basketball where everyone gets involved, and they don't necessarily want him to go complete rocket style where it's one on one every single time down the floor. But they do at least want him to try and do a little bit more Steph and Kevin Durant pick and roll because yeah. right, like if someone is cheering against them, that kind of terrifies me, and I it really seems oh, yeah. to that. So I don't know, like maybe we see that more going forward, but that's not really in his coaching DNA. See, the, the odd part is they went to that quite a bit last postseason when things were slowing down a little bit. I think right. because it was kind of a similar narrative where Steph was kind of after injury was slow a little bit, and they started running, and the offense wasn't fully humming like it's capable of, and so they started running those pick and rolls. I mean, those are just so deadly. I'm surprised, they're, I'm surprised they haven't gone to the more. Okay, so let's put our let's cast our vote right now. So you're still saying Warriors, and you think it's what Warriors in seven? I, I take it, or I think what it's Warriors in seven. All right. I think, well, I think I think Rockets are going to take. Whew, man, are, are Warriors really going to go down three two? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm thinking Warriors. I don't want to commit to a game number. I'll say seven, um, just to cop out. But I'll take Warriors. Okay, and I'll again look. My brain is telling me it's it's <laughs> saying to bet against the Warriors, but I've already done it once, and I don't know, man. You know, fuck it. I'll go Rockets. In yeah. seven, everyone will hold home court through, and somehow Chubbs, Chris Paul himself, will get to the finals at long last. Ooh, that'd be nice. Um, um, what do you think about this other series now, though? So we're doing this pod right after the Celts took a 3-2 lead. And, yeah. I mean, they actually now, I think last week you'd called it that you're thinking they're going to find a way to make it to the finals. and. Cleveland came back, tied it up at two, and they just laid an egg tonight. So, I know. I pretty good there. This, this is what I mean, though, by this this round keeps kind of jerking you around, is because after those first few games in Boston, you would have thought like, oh, dude, like this this looks like this all the way. You and I even talked about this podcast on this podcast maybe one or two episodes ago. I think it was our last one where Celtics were up 2-0, 538 had them as a 76% win percentage for the series, yep. and so we're like, oh, that feels about right. Um, so I, I think that's still about right after tonight. But if you had asked me before tonight, I think I would have just said like I think it's back to fifty-fifty. So I think we're, I think we're probably, I'm I'm probably closer back to that fifty-fifty mark where, um, just seems like whoever's the home team, is just kind of wiping the floor with the other team almost. Um, I mean Boston really didn't look all that great in those games in Cleveland. Rozier especially was killing them. Wasn't quite the same scary Terry as he's been at home. But then Boston came back tonight and. And one big, so I don't know. It just feels like um, I'm fairly certain in Game Six we're going to see the Cavs come out really strong and 
and probably take it to the Celtics, and then we're going to probably have a game seven back in Boston at that point. Um, do you think LeBron just has has enough to put Cleveland on his back, just have one game for the ages and send them to the to the straight finals? Uh, well, I think he does. The issue for the Cavs this series seems to be LeBron kind of has to have those games for them to have a shot, right? Quick aside, actually, on Scary Terry Rogier. I was uh, getting some food at Ralph's earlier, right, to get ready for the game to cook. And some like high school kid was rocking a Scary Terry Rozier shirt. And I was like, hey, what? I was like sickened by it. LA. You shouldn't be. He was like, born in Boston. I'm not having it. So that threw me for a loop for a minute. But back to the series. I mean, look, LeBron tonight, he had 26, 10, and 5. He had a good game, and, and they weren't really in it. So I think. I'm with you on the sense that the Cavs will hold court at game game six at home. They're crappy role guys like J.R. Smith. They all seem to play way better at home. And then in, it comes down to game seven. Like, who are you taking? The better overall team in the Celts? Or you think that LeBron has one more transcendent game in him to get to the finals and get waxed by the Warriors or Rockets? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm so torn on it. it it's so close. Um, I'm still look. I'm I'm going to stick with it right now. I'm going to say Cavs in seven. I think they take next game. Yeah. I think LeBron somehow finds a way to pull out the game on the road here. But yeah, even if it does go down like that, like this is just like it's still an amazing run by the Celts, and it sickens no, me it the Celtics to see how well they've been doing. Yeah, and how well they've been running, how bright the future is. So yeah, it's definitely uh, rough as Lakers fan. I think I might be with you. I, I'm trying to like process my thoughts as we're talking here. Um, Cause I go back and forth a little bit. I mean, on one hand, Boston's been amazing at home. Uh, I think rational money would probably be on them by a hair, but at the same time, um, I think what maybe that rational money and those like more mathematical approach by the factor in is that you have someone like LeBron who really could have like that transcendent game. Kind of like we saw, I think it was, was it game seven back on the heat as well, where you have like 45, 18, and 12, or 45, 18, and seven, or something like that in Boston? I think it was game seven as well in Boston, or maybe it was game six, yeah. uh, elimination game. Game six. So I, I just, I wonder if we, yeah, I wonder if he's capable uh, of just going off like that again. And I, I'm just so hesitant to bet against that. So I think if I if I had to go one way, um, I, think I, I think I'm going with you. I think Cavs are going to take game six. I think um, they're going to find a way to, Turn out game seven. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's too simplistic to look at it this way, but like, I'm already kind of chalking up the Cavs to like it's like an auto win for game six because not only just because they play way better at home, but it's also because the Celtics have been kind of like hot trash on the road. They're only one in six, and yeah, it just seems really weird for me to picture again. Anything can happen. They're playing. They're they're all professionals here, but it's just like weird to picture right now in my head. LeBron potentially having his last game in Cleveland as a Cavalier and losing to the under, you know, undermanned Celtics, right? It just seems that's how the script's going to go down. I'm with you. It might be too narrative based there, but I'm with you. I I don't think there's any way they lose game six. I'm full on Bill Simmons mode right now, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's kind of the, maybe that's why we like to talk about basketball and baseball here is that on one hand, basketball is a very analytical sport, but there's maybe not, um, as much inherent variability to it. And so maybe there's more to these narratives and, and things like that. Um, whereas baseball is just like, God, it's such a crapshoot sometimes. It's hard to even figure out what the hell is going on, let alone 
come up with some BS narrative to help <laughs> explain things. It's hard to come up with a narrative in baseball because like by the time you actually come up with one, you fall asleep because the game's so boring. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Let's uh, real quick on this series. I want to get your thoughts one more time on Jalen Brown because you're a, a cow guy. So I know you're cheering for him, even though he's a Celtic. You even have yeah. a picture of him from back in his days at Cal. Um, I know you've been talking to our mutual friend, Zach Bappas, about whether he's <laughs> a superstar or not. So if, hit me with it. Is, is Jalen Brown the next superstar in the NBA, or what are we looking at? He had a mediocre game tonight and shot only four for 15, but still been playing pretty well. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I'm with Zach Bappas there um, as much as I'd like to be. Obviously, I'm a big Jalen fan. Um, he went to Cal. Uh, he just seems like, in general, he's a, he's a pretty good guy. He seems like a pretty hard worker. One time I saw him taking cash out of an ATM. He was very modest, said hello. Um, so he seems like a solid guy, works hard. But um, I don't know, like, at least maybe it's just semantics, but you said superstars. So I kind of locked on to that. I think there's a very, very select group that we can – classify that as um that's like the LeBrons, the Durants, the Currys, the Hardens, the Chris Pauls of the world. Um I will work in Chris Paul there. And uh but to Zach Wappa's credit, he did mention um he said that he thinks this might be kind of like the breakout we saw from Jimmy Butler in the playoffs years back in Kawhi. Um and I still wouldn't I, wow. I wouldn't fully go back to I, Kawhi card. I don't I mean wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not quite agreeing to that level. And actually so somewhat of the Irony there is that back in the day, I had said that um, back when playing fantasy basketball before Kawhi had broken out, I said that Kawhi was a future star. Um, <laughs> Do we have that recorded? I'm not so sure about I that. I wish. I wish. Uh, and Zach really took issue with that. Um, and then he kind of doubled down. He was like, that's just ridiculous. It's like saying Jimmy Butler's a star. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. We've come full circle here now. Jalen <laughs> uh, Brown's getting compared to the Bapas. Maybe I'm discounting um, Jalen too much, kind of like he was discounting Kawhi and Jimmy Butler too much at the time. But no, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's a nice player. I don't think he's going to be a star. Um, I think he's going to be really good, though. He's only 21. He's, he's super athletic. He just, I don't know, he, he's, um, I don't think he's that good of a shooter. I know he's improved his, his three-point game this year, but I thought, like, free throws were also a good indicator into how good of a shooter of a guy is. And I don't know, I just wonder if sometimes he's playing slightly above over his head. Um from three point from three point land, I don't think he's quite on that level of like a Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, but uh, maybe the next tier, right? Like, um, would you take Jalen Brown or Andrew Wiggins? Oh, come, dude, come on, that's not even close. Like, Andrew Wiggins is a, a just a obscenely bad defender. And How is Wiggins falling this far? I think it's because like you look at him and he should. He looks like he would be an elite basketball player, right? He's like six foot eight. He's lanky. He should be a good defender because he's young, quick, and agile. And he's just inefficient on offense. Well, he doesn't create shots for other people very well, and he's not a good defender. So I don't. I would not want to touch that contract with a ten foot pole. Oh, that's true. I mean, the contract part. Yeah, I was just trying to compare the players in the vacuum. Absolutely agree there. I would still rather have Jalen um, Brown. Jalen Brown. I think you even said it. he seems to kind of have like a bit of like that dog in him, right? Like he just seems like someone you want to go to war with in the playoffs. No, absolutely. And he's super athletic too. That, that's the thing that you love about um, him in the modern NBA. He's, he's kind of that two, three, four, very switchy, uh, very athletic um, guard, uh, very explosive in, in open court. So definitely a guy you want in the playoffs. And um, I think it was, I don't know if it was Lowe or it was Bill Simmons talking about that, where 
it seems like Ainge has just had a bias for those kinds of guys because maybe he's been watching the Warriors over the years and just realized you can have a bunch of those guys on the court in the playoffs. So he's been loading up on like Tatum, Jalen Brown. They've even got kind of like Smart. They've got Morris, Hayward. Um, just got a ton of those wing types that can potentially compete in the playoffs. I don't know. Like, where where would you put Brown? Like, any any good comps for for Brown that come to mind? Wow, well, off the top of my head. Like, is he, will he be better than, well, I actually said, compare now. I, I know that Simmons actually did compare him about a month ago to Paul George. And Ooh. I don't know if he'll be quite the, the dead eye from long range as him, although he is actually from three point, like you mentioned, he's a, he's an excellent three point shooter. He shot 40% this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's surprising me a little bit. Right. It just doesn't really sync up with him being a 65% free throw shooter, but yeah, I, I could see him maybe being like a Paul George's type guy, right? Where he's not your, you definitely don't want him, I think, to be your number one option on offense. But if if he's your second or third guy on offense, and he can probably grow into this role as a pretty strong defender, I think that he's got a pretty bright future ahead. Okay. Do you, I mean, do you think is Paul George in his range of outcomes like median? Paul George is like where where is is he even on Jalen Brown's range of outcomes? Or I think he's definitely in play. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'm actually just somehow a low man on on Jalen sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes like I try to potentially overcorrect a little bit to make sure I'm not being biased, just giving you the cow guy. But I think part of it is that um, I was always a Rab guy. I liked Rab a lot at Cal, yeah. Evan Rab. I thought he was going to be the next Chris Bosch, and so um, <laughs> been very wrong on that so far. So, um, maybe I'm just kind of hating on Jalen a little bit too much there. The the one thing that might hold Brown back from really hitting like Paul George status is Paul George. You can kind of have him bring the ball up and kind of run your offense for you to just, you know, just initiate it. I don't know if Brown really has that handle yet. Like every time he dribbles that he looks like if I was suddenly thrown into an NBA game. <laughs> I don't think he does. He he was like that at Cal too, where sometimes his pure athleticism will allow him to, to kind of mask that a little bit, but he was a very turnover prone player. Um, a lot of charges because he didn't really have a great, great body control and great handle. A lot of turnovers as well. Just not great hold of the ball. Um, so I, I remember that quite a bit at Cal, and I think he still probably suffers from that a little bit. But like I said, he's only 21. Um, I think him and Tatum work are, you know, everyone is like super competitive and a hard worker in the NBA, obviously to a degree. But I think he's probably um, at least like in the 75th percentile there. Um, seems like he's, um, you know, just gym rat kind of guy. Right. Um, anything else on that series? But just to recap, it sounds like we're both leaning Cavs in seven. Uh, yeah, I think we I are. I just hate to say it because I had Ca- I had Celtics at the beginning of the series. Um, I thought they were going to win it after two. And Why not? I don't want to see LeBron for any time. So I, I, but I, I just think what's that? Stick with it. I mean, you got a three-two advantage right now. And I know you don't want to see, everyone out there listening knows you don't want to see Warriors versus Cavs again, but yet you just picked it once more. Yeah, it's not, so I, I'm not trying, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. I'm not trying to pick what I want to see. Uh, yeah, I just think this is the most likely outcome. Yeah, I think it's going to be Warriors-Cavs again. Yeah, we're going to be bored <laughs> out of our minds. Well, I, you really think that's more boring than if it was Cavs or pardon me, Celtics versus Warriors? You really think that's less intriguing? <laughs> Yeah, I actually do. I think it is more. I think it's, I think Cavs Warriors is less intriguing than Cavs Celtics. Not not that Cavs you'd Celtics. Watch, sorry, not that. You'd rather watch Al Horford than LeBron James in the finals. I'm calling BS on that right now. That belongs in the BS. Look, 
I, I'm not arguing that Celtics and Warriors will be riveting relative to the Cavs. We've seen the Cavs Warriors, what, uh, three times in a row? Like, they really need to see it a fourth time with this shit Cavs team? I don't, I don't think so. Well, I'm, I'm okay without seeing it. LeBron. I think you're going after the wrong guy here, though. Look, it's not LeBron's fault that he has it. Well, actually, kind of is part of, partly his fault. Crash <laughs> the team around him, but now you should really be upset with this. Who Haralabob pointed out last night on Twitter, which is Kevin Durant joining 73 and 19 was such a jabroni move, and it really just kind of ruined the NBA. Uh, I, you know, I still watch. I know the ratings yeah. are up, but from a competitive standpoint, it's just, anytime the Warriors lose, we're absolutely shocked because. Again, he joined the best regular season team of all time, and he's a top three player. It just that shouldn't happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, actually, I mean, I, I agree and I disagree. From a fan perspective, yeah, I agree. It, it sucks. Um, but and I'm not saying you're saying this, but like I, I just don't even think it's really worth bringing up like Crawlbob does all that much, just because like I don't blame Grant at all. Like I honestly probably would have done the same myself. So I, you know, like really, I'm, I'm kind of torn in that sense. As a competitive human being, you would have, after having them on the ropes three to one, you would have then jumped ship. I mean, if Clay doesn't go supernova in game six, you win that series and what, you're yeah. still going to jump ship? I don't, I just don't see it. Rick, Rick, I'm just telling you, man. I'm telling you, like, put yourself in those shoes. Like, I, I'm not buying that you can't even, like, fathom this. I don't know how you can. I understand why he would rather. Would you, like, you'd, what, you'd really rather stay in OKC with West Prick? Versus go to California, you play with a super fun team. Uh, they all love each other. It was super it. good. And I'm not following. He only had two options here. Like g- going to the Warriors, it, it was going to be fun because it was going to be unfair, right? Again, he's joining the best season team of all time. He could have went to yeah. Miami if he was looking for a good spot to live. He could have went to New York if he wanted. He could have went anywhere. You can force a sign and trade if you're someone that good. If he wanted to go to the Clippers, yeah. he could have done that. No, but I think that I think this is just like a once in a lifetime opportunity, really, to play for a team like that. I, I really don't blame them at all, honestly. I think it, I think it's totally understandable. I understand from a fan perspective why it kind of sucks, but uh, no, I, I don't, I don't follow it at all. I think it's um, totally understandable. I mean, he's he's also been very active with his business interests as well. Like he's um, he's placed a lot of uh, venture capital. I think he's raised a fund. And he's okay, cool. That does venture capital, that does uh, jack shit for me. You know what I mean? Like I do not care. In Kevin Durant seems like kind of a jabroni anyway. Like, I don't really care how his businesses are doing. Well, that was kind of my point, though. I understand from a fan perspective, I was just saying what I was – my main point was, um, having said that, it's more like if I was Durant, I would have done the same thing. I, I don't blame him at all for the decision. I, that, I, yeah, I, I, don't be I don't see it. Dude, even in men's league, I don't see it. Let's say we lost a, a heartbreaking championship game, right, in 2K9 when we were actually young and good at yeah. men's league basketball. Yeah. I don't see you immediately jumping ship to the other squad. Right. Yeah. Not not that I disagree with your comparison here. I just don't think it's quite the same. Also, I think I, I think there also is something to just really like it. It might be as simple as one of those things where um, like how fun is it to play with Westbrook? Maybe like he doesn't seem like he's the most fun guy to play with there in Oklahoma. No, I don't want to play. From a basketball standpoint, I get it. Like I understand why you'd rather play with the Warriors. It's just, I don't know. Like he can't have it both ways, right? Because, uh, uh, for instance, last year on the Bill Simmons podcast, he talked about how at one point early on, he complained to his business manager and said, how could you have let me done this or let me do this? Because he couldn't handle all of the backlash, right? He hated that everyone suddenly didn't like him because he jumped, yeah. you know, he, he was a bandwagon jumper. Right, I guess you could put it like that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. He kind of knew deep down that like this was an unpopular move. Um, yeah. I don't think, he I, I think he'll be fine though. 
I, I'm, I'm not comparing it to the same situation because I do recognize it's different. You and I have talked about this, but um, remember when LeBron went to Miami, he was hated for a while, and like, what's the people got over it? And I know it's a little bit different, so maybe it'll take more time. But I think he'll be fine in the long run. It is different, but the point remains the same: is that I well, look, received I, a lot of backlash for it. Look, I actually agree with you that he'll be fine in the long run if he doesn't keep getting in his own way, right? So last year, right after the finals, right, he should be having the time of his life. You know, a month or two later, everyone catches him pretty much on his fake burner Twitter account, right? And then it comes out that he yeah. kind of has an Instagram burner account too, where he's like talking trash on Westbrook yeah. and he's pushing back against trolls. And it's just like, dude, you're worth, you know, more than $100 million. You just won a championship. You had the best finals almost out of, you know, of all time. Like, what are you doing? Why are you fighting with trolls on a burner account? Just grow up. Oh, yeah. Well, so I, I'm, I'm not trying to paint myself in the Durant corner here. I'm just trying to, I think, I think like the, the easy take, well, no, I think the easy take is like to hate on Durant. And so I think it um, takes a little bit more critical thought to consider like more holistically the situation. And so I think, I think he gets too much hate. And I actually think that we're going to see in a couple of years. I mean, you said it yourself that you think the end is closer to the Warriors than, than we're at the beginning. So I think we are going to see him. But I know that's what I'm saying. I think I think we're gonna see him have like that bigger role, and he'll have the opportunity to more establish himself as kind of like the main guy, not just uh, someone who came into an amazing team. I think eventually the team's not gonna quite be that same thing anymore. So um, I think he's gonna be fine. Um, I think it also shows like athletes are have their own demons. Also, it's not you know, just because you're at the top of the world with championship and all that money. I think there's uh, a lot more to to life than that. So yeah, I, I'm um, I'll, I'll take I'll take the rant side on this one. Uh, very well. Um, one more thing, because I know we actually want to do a quicker pod, and, and Lord knows we always get in our way from actually accomplishing that. So <laughs> one more thing I want to tell you on that. So let's say the Rockets do find a way to pull this one out. Durant has a player option for 26 mil next year. Yeah. But I think most of us are assuming, right, he'll opt out, try and get that long-term deal. Do you think yeah, that yeah. puts in doubt him actually coming back to the Warriors if they find a way to lose this one? No, I don't think so. I think he'll be back. I can't see him leaving. I, I I really think it's it's one of those really nice situations that he's in right now. Um, I see zero zero chance they leave. I'm with you on that one too. But just looking at the Warriors' salary structure for the next few years, I mean, next year and the year after, they're playing or they're paying Iguodala a combined 33 mil, and I don't think that's gonna that doesn't look too pretty to me right now. So. No, yeah, I think this is where we're going to start seeing the Warriors uh, sort of like they're so a little bit, a couple of dents in the armor, a little chinks in the armor there. I think the the biggest risks are keeping the main four together, right? They're, they're all in their prime. That's that's the crazy thing. I think as long as you have those four guys, you'll find people, you'll find players that are come that are willing to come play for you below what they could play for otherwise. But sure. um, I don't know how long like guys like Durant are going to keep taking discounts stuff like that. So what is, what does that situation look like? For Durant, well, I, I'm no. Well, just for those four. Oh uh, well, the so Draymond has another two years on his contract for about 35 mil. Clay only has one more year, about 19 mil. That's but one, yeah. reports came out. I think it was Marcus Thompson from the Athletics, San Francisco, reported that he's actually working on a team-friendly deal, like an extension. So, yeah. if you have guys yeah. like him taking like sweetheart deals, then it makes it a little easier, like you were saying, to not only get these vets chasing rings, but then to bring on some guys that might not even be chasing rings. Yeah, I, I think your best bet for the team-friendly deals are probably Clay, though, because I, I don't know if – I've seen reports that said um, 
like Durant. Durant has already done it. I don't think he's going to continue to do it. Steph did it for a while. I think he, you know, he he got a big contract already, right? He he's obviously yep. not going to be taking any savings. So I mean, I guess if you're trying to save, it's going to be probably from Clay and Draymond. Um, a little as, bit. So I, I think the key is keep those four together, though. Look, as a Laker fan, I almost kind of hope, like, if for whatever reason they strike out in, in uh, free agency this summer, that they just kind of keep rolling with this young crew because you look at some of these contracts, Steph's already 30 years old. He's going to be making $46 million oh. in the 2021-2022 season. And it's like, yeah. just kind of wait this out, right? One, they're getting older. They're going through these playoff wars. They're going to be tired, and then they're getting paid huge lumps, you know, of money. I don't know, man. It's not going to, you know, and the winning's not going to stick around forever. Yeah, I, I still, th- I mean, like, is this team going to be better than those Jordan Bulls? Though, I mean, in, in some ways, they've already proved that they are. they are. Yeah, I already think they are. Okay, maybe I put it the wrong way. Maybe, maybe let's not compare the peak or so, but let's try to compare oh. their their run. Would you right. say that their run already? That given they only have two championships, I mean, Jordan's Bulls won six. So I, I feel like. Already there. That's a huge divide. I think you're going to have to close that gap a little more to get in that same conversation. Right. I think that but the yeah. run itself, I don't think it's going to touch the Bulls. I do think that just when it comes to these teams at their absolute peaks, like 20, if I had to take like the 2017 Warriors against the 96 Bulls, or I guess maybe even like the 92 Bulls, if you wanted to take the first iteration, I would take the Warriors. Um, I think so too. But I think the Bulls just had some built in advantages that helped them. So, one thing that Phil always pointed out, Phil Jackson, was that, that being in Chicago actually really helped that team with its longevity because they weren't traveling quite as far, right? They're centrally located to everyone else. Yeah. And in the second half of their run, that helped them. Also, in the 90s, the uh, NBA had quite a few expansion teams. So you had shit teams like the Vancouver Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. And, and that really helped for an extra you know, few bonus wins each year. I don't think the Warriors yeah. have that right now. Although I guess you do have tank. Sorry, go ahead. You do have some teams tanking, I guess. Maybe that evens it out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, the expansion teams really help out because remember when we had those shit Bobcats teams of this last decade, and I guess the Sixers kind of count in that same vein as well. Um, I had another interesting question for you though, as well as while we're comparing them to the Bulls. Um, yeah, I hate yeah, I hate to bring this up, but what what run would you take as just an objective? Like, which run would you say is better objectively, the Lakers three peat, the Kobe Shaq uh, three peat, or this Warriors run where they only won two, um, but they they might they might be going up to their third here and set the you know they set the the record for most wins in a season. Just curious your take there. Right, it pains me to say it, but I think if the Warriors find a way to close it out this year. And they're looking at three out of four with their one loss being yeah. game seven. They came down to one shot. I think you kind of have to go with the Warriors on that one, even though they'll only have a back-to-back in there and not a 3 P like the Lakers, which is extremely rare when it comes to hoops. Oh, yeah. That's super rare. Um, no, and actually, I totally agree with you there. I was actually more saying, like, even today, let's just say they don't win it. No, oh, then I would, go, say, I, would, just, I would take the three okay. – and without even a back-to-back in there for the Warriors, I would take the Lakers' run. Okay, got it. So you're, you're valuing the more championships and it's the, the three-peat, the back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, and I mean, if you really wanted to extend it, that Lakers team did go to the finals four out of five years, so they, they did yep. get waxed by the Pistons in 04. But that right. that mini, you know, early 2000s run was pretty sweet for the Lakers. 
definitely. Okay. No, I'm with you there. Um, speaking of LA teams, what do you want to do? You want to talk about our Dodgers real quick, our Dodger board bet, switching over to baseball? I did, actually, because it's gotten a little bit interesting, right, where – um, man, I, I was not feeling great about it. So just to remind everyone, we had a, we had a quick bet where um, you just tend to err a little bit more on the bullish side, potentially as uh, a method of protection, given all the heartache you've gone through over the years as a hardcore Dodger fan. And so bullish. you were pretty down on – you were you were very bearish, I thought. Um, bearish, yeah, I would go bearish on this one. Okay, I don't know if I said bullish on my bad. But, um, yeah, you were, just, you were saying that uh, – yeah, Dodgers are, uh, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far yet. But I wasn't feeling great about it. And I think last time I saw when we talked about that, the odds of the Dodgers making the playoffs were about 24%, if you were to believe, uh, 538. So I pulled that up again today. And I think a couple of things that have happened is not that the Dodgers have necessarily played great, but the Diamondbacks have fallen off all of a sudden. And so right. suddenly I'm looking at the Dodgers' um, Win probability, and according to 538, it's 40%, 4-0, and according to Fangraph, it's 60%. So things have improved a little bit for them. Um, are you feeling a little bit better just at least giving them a shot to make it, and maybe they could write the ship at some point? I am, dude. It's actually optimistic uh, times for the Dodgers because, as you said, nice. Arizona is completely face-planted. And as we're talking, the Dodgers are actually – trending towards beating the Rockies right now who have taken first place. Uh, they're up 3 nothing late in the game, so I'm feeling pretty good there. They're only four and a half out without this game tonight being settled. They're only four and a half out of first place. Kershaw's coming back soon. Um, I mean, again, they don't have Corsica the rest of the way. That's going to be a blow if they do find a way to get to the playoffs. But, uh, Max Muncy, of all people, has been balling out of his mind lately and Puig's Max Muncy, man, they got him from Oakland, and uh, this guy's been playing the. He's been kind of moving around a bit for him, but I think he's been holding down first base for the most part, and he's got like five wow. dingers for him. He's got a four hundred on base. <laughs> Love this guy. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Puig, all of a sudden, he went from you know he was hitting like you know Sean Figgins back in the day to all of a sudden he's back to being Puig. Got five dingers. There we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Puig guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I think that the division's definitely ripe for the taking here, and the Dodgers, I mean, uh, this front office usually doesn't like to give away the farm at the trade deadline, but who knows? If they're battling it out midway through the year, they probably have you know more cash than anyone else to go out there and augment this team even more. Yeah, and I wonder if, I wonder if they've been positioning themselves for a big splash this offseason where you have a pretty big free agent class coming available where you've got Manny Machado. Right who's widely believed to leave um, Baltimore. So, I mean, right. he could be traded midseason just as they try to get anything for him. And same thing with Bryce Harper, um, who almost surely won't be traded as the Nationals will definitely go for it. But um, who, I, for whatever reason, just seems like he's almost a foregone conclusion to leave the Nationals, which is so surprising to me. I don't well, know. I am not, I've, never, I've never really followed why that is, right? Because they're in yeah, a major market. They should right. be able and to. They, they, they paid big money to Scherzer, too. Like, it doesn't seem like they're one of those teams that, that just kind of lets their big guys go. It's just, he's really young too. It's not like you're paying for um, like the, it's not like a pool hole situation in St. Louis where he was already kind of on a decline and you were clearly not getting prime years anymore. And he was going to get giant, giant money. Like I, I don't totally understand it. Right. I, I don't get that at all either. And if I was the Nats, I would do pretty much everything I could to keep someone. Yeah, up talented. Um, having said that, I mean, that might be an opportunity for the Dodgers. I wonder if they've been trying to position themselves to stay out of that luxury tax and, be able to strike this uh, this offseason. 
No, I think you're you're definitely on the right track there because that's why they were so anal about keeping their salary down this year, right? They didn't want to have whatever the MLB equivalent is as of being a you know repeater tax. They they wanted to keep it below right. 200 mil this year. Um, right. Yeah. One guy also worth mentioning for the Dodgers, and who, who the hell knows if he can keep it up? He was highly touted when they got him, which is uh, Walker Bueller, right? And yeah, definitely. He's got 40 strikeouts in 34 innings. He's got a sub 2-5 ERA. And I don't know. Like, who knows how long they keep him up the whole year. It seems like at this point they kind of almost have to if they want to find a way to make the playoffs. But uh, even if he can just keep, like, around, you know, have around a 3 ERA, he's been a godsend for them so far. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think I think he'll – I think they'll probably manipulate his, uh, his innings a little bit just kind of the way they do. Maybe a DL sent here, maybe a little bit of a bullpen – um, yeah. run here, there, probably unlikely, but they'll probably manipulate his innings a little bit. But yeah, I think he's definitely here to stay. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a top 100 prospect. I think he's even like top 10 to 20. He was certainly one of the top guys in their system, if not the top guy. Um, really, really nice looking pitcher. I think he's got he's got some nice gas on his on his four seam and um, yeah. he's got good movement on his pitches. Nice. I think he's got a really I think he's got a plus slider as well. So um, yeah, definitely a really good pitcher. Yeah, man, he's the new Kershaw, and with Kershaw leaving at the yeah. end of the year, it's that's the guy I have to kind of get excited about now. Yeah, is is Kershaw leaving at the end of the year? You think? I don't think Kershaw's coming back, man. Unless it's a team friendly contract, I don't think this front office is gonna. L- let me put it this way: if he had found a way to close Game Five last year in the World Series, I think they would have found <laughs> a way to get him a new contract. But without closing the World Series last year, and if you know, I don't think they're gonna win it this year, most likely. I think that kind of gives them enough leeway with the fan base to part with someone that's, you know, past 30 and has been pretty severely injured for three of the last four seasons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's on the deal right now. He's kind of working his way back as both you and I are painfully aware. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's like, sadly, it's probably a a sound move not to invest too much in him, but at the same time, and we've seen some of these pitchers after 30 be pretty damn productive. So like, I think, Kluber's like 34, 35. Scherzer right. getting up there as well. Um, that's what makes it so hard to write a push out too much. But that's why it's so hard for me to watch as like a Dodger fan because it's like you see the guys you just mentioned kind of passing them as like the premier pitchers in the game. Yeah, younger yeah. than them. Like it's just it's weird to watch him breaking down. Not weird. Where's not the right word? It's just kind of you know it's unfortunate to see him breaking down. Yeah, as it seems. While you know Scherzer's still throwing you know 100 miles per hour gas. You got Kluber balling out, and they're like you said, they're older. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. I'm hoping Kurchok gets right, but um, yeah, just just an ominous sign. And I, I think some of uh, Jeff Zimmerman and Fangraph did some work, uh, particularly on hitters, but I believe on pitchers as well. Where um, th- there's really no such thing as injury prone, and like I said, particularly on the hitter side, I think pitchers might be slightly different ball game. But I, I could have sworn some of the findings were applicable to pitchers, unless there's like a chronic issue. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could have argued that back was a chronic issue because it kept popping up year after year. But this year is a little bit different. It's a biceps thing, and that, of right. course, scares you with, with pitchers. But I don't know. I wonder if he's just kind of on this bad injury injury run right now, and, and maybe it's not necessarily predictable what will happen going forward. Um, maybe I'm just being too optimistic because I like to joke. But uh, maybe, maybe just a little bit of sign of hope there. Sure. Um, but, yeah, just to recap real quick your initial question, I'm not feeling so great about the board bet we have now. The only thing that really has me feeling good, right, about the Dodgers not making the playoffs is that they still have to leap a few more teams, right? Which 
anytime there's a whole bunch of teams ahead of you, it's, it's, you know, it definitely narrows the odds a bit, but I'm actually kind of happy, right? Like I, I would gladly lose this board bet if it meant the Dodgers make the playoffs again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I wish I could say the same for uh, my angels. Not that we have a bet for them, but um, I think they actually have like a slightly better projection in terms of their wins, but just given the fact that they play in the same division as the Astros, um, lower win pro- or lower playoff probability. I think I saw like 38% to them. Whereas right. 40 to 60 for the Dodgers. So I'm hoping the Eagles can pull it out, man. I would um, be great to see Trout got back in the, back in the playoffs. No doubt. Um, real quick on your halo. So they did have a nice come from behind win today. At what point do you think they pull Pujols from this four spot? Because I saw last week, I think it was Fangraphs was saying that the angels have like the third worst four spot in the entire major leagues. Um, and that's behind, or pardon me, the only teams I think that have worse four spots are teams like St. Louis, where Ozuna's just been killing them. Um, yeah. With the Angels, you know, trying, like you were saying, to find a way to get that wild card spot, do they eventually just pull the plug on pools, or is Soch a little too vet friendly here? Yeah. I know that that's the tough thing to to, because there's, there's two answers here. The, the first answer is what should they do? And I think uh, the answer is uh well the first question is that and i think the answer is that they should do it now but second part is trying to predict and read social's mind and and i really don't know i, I would actually be inclined to say that they probably won't change it anytime soon unless um social starts getting like really grilled by uh, the front office or, or whoever whoever needs to grill him but um people uh, me, the media has asked him about that already and he's been very complimentary about albert and says he's been really good for him and um, been very clutch in uh, um, in, in that four spot and driving guys home when you need to. So I don't know, man. I, I wish he would. Um, they probably need to get another bat at some point. They need to figure something out because Albertson, not bad, but I think he's probably like 10% below league average probably. And Cole Calhoun has been bad offensively. Been horrible, man. He may, horrible. Yeah, he's, he's playing out of his skull right now, too, like in a bad way. He made a uh, third out on the base pass tonight. Trout got a single score Maldonado. Calhoun runs to third for some reason, gets called out. It erases the run for the Angels. Like this guy's just his head's uh, Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately he's been really good on defense this year too. So it just makes it harder. And I've always been a Calhoun fan since he came up a few years back. Um so it's kinda of sad to see, but yeah, he's been so bad this year and um I don't know how much longer they keep doing that. Not that they have many better options, but they have a few interesting guys in, in the minors. I think the, their top prospects are a little too far away, probably Jemai Jones and uh, Joe Adele, but I think they've got an interesting name in Jabari Blash and might need to start just giving some other guys a little bit of time to see what they can do and we'll see how active they are um in making any trades because they do have a good chance to make the playoffs this year. Um although I've I've seen them more rumored for pitching more so than hitting. So I've seen like anytime a pitcher is mentioned like Cole Hamels or Chris Archer, I've seen mm-hmm. Angels floated as a potential landing spot. Cole Hamels really gonna come in and save the day. I, I <laughs> that one. Yeah, I know, right? Well he's been pitching pretty well so far that's just surprising. He started throwing this new slider um that's been pretty effective. Now he's got like even though he's got way lower velocity, he's got four to five pitches now he's relying a lot on his breaking stuff and I'm surprisingly effective this year. So he's actually shaping up to be one of the better deadline uh, deals this year. Um, not, I don't know about deals, but just he, he's going to be one of the hotter pitching commodities uh, at the deadline this year. Sure. Um, okay. Well, I mean, hey, there we stand. And um, tell the people what they can be looking forward to for next week when it comes to baseball 
in fantasy baseball content. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've been flipping. Uh, been pretty busy a lot with both work and personal stuff, but I do have something in the works. I know I mentioned last time where um, you know, I kind of talk about this a little bit in the piece, but um, it feels like just generally speaking, my I, I feel a lot more comfortable with pitching. My fantasy teams tend to perform better on the pitching side. I, I tend to have a better like better identification of pitching talent than on the hitting side, and just generally I tend to struggle on the hitting side a little bit. So I'm, I'm trying to take a deeper dive on the hitting side, look at uh, a lot of different um, early season stats, and uh, what I'm really focusing on is trying to identify who are the best hitting buys right now. And so um, a big part of that is I'm trying to make it very, very um, numbers-based. Uh, very analytical. So um, you probably won't see guys like Paul Goldschmidt touted or Anthony Rizzo or Ian Desmond, big names who you really are just putting maybe not so much blind faith, but you're just like, look, this guy's always been very good, particularly with Goldschmidt and Desmond, or I'm sorry, Goldschmidt and Rizzo. Um, These are always very good. They're elite hitters. They'll be fine. Whereas the numbers wouldn't suggest that. And um, you're probably not getting a discount on them anyway. So try to identify... Uh, some good hitting buys for guys who uh, the numbers back up that they should be a lot better, and then also that might be a little more gettable as well. So something I'm working on right now, and hopefully we'll have that within the next week. Sounds good, bud. Um, what do you say? Is it time for us to move? We're we're moving up there, man, when it comes to Seinfeld. We're getting up there in the upper echelon now. We are, yeah. We're, we're almost moving on to our next countdown. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, I, th- I think I'll kick us off just because mine will be a little bit shorter today since we've already talked about this episode, which I think <laughs> – as we were talking before uh, we uh, went live today, um, I think we'll probably see happen um, more and more as we close this out, just given probably our somewhat similar taste and, and maybe just the way that uh, if we do this right, in theory, you'll uh, kind of have a, at least a few uh, overlaps. But, um, yeah, so mine, mine today is the outing. So we had talked about this one already, but this one's, this one's so good. Uh, that's the one where it starts off with um, – with, uh, Jerry and George with Elaine and, and Monks. And um, for whatever reason, Elaine, Elaine um, recognizes that the people behind them are eavesdropping. And it turns out to be um, this reporter that Jerry was supposed to uh, interview with. And so anyways, <laughs> Elaine, just to mess with them, uh, she says, uh, you know, let's, let's mess with them a little bit since they're eavesdropping. And so, and she just says something like, it's okay that you guys are gay. Um, something like that. I forgot exactly the line. And uh, and then oh, Jerry's not very comfortable. He's like, what are you doing? And then George goes, starts going along with it. He's like, you know, you're the only one I'll ever love or something like that. <laughs> and then uh, it goes to the lady that's over you dropping. and she's kind of just smiling because she's hearing it all. And so um, that gets them in a little bit of trouble later on, just given the fact that she heard that and she comes to interview Jerry and George is there and kind of play up the whole, like, their gay thing a little bit um, until they realize that she was the one overhearing all that and, and they're denying it, I'm not gay. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, which I don't think we had talked about last time, but um, maybe this is where we can talk a little more about this one since we had already covered a lot of the other stuff. But what I learned of looking into this uh, a little bit was that that was not how they originally wrote it. Apparently... Mm. Uh, Larry David had written it um, pretty much, I guess, very similar to how it was, but without then not that there's anything wrong with it kind of thing. And then I guess the uh, the president of NBC did not like that. It just seemed like they were completely, um, you know, just sort of killing the fact that they were gay or they were pretending to be gay or they didn't want to be gay or something like that. So 
they didn't like it. And so then um, Jerry and Larry went back to the drawing board. I guess Jerry had a really good idea on how to play that up and, and quote, fix it. Um, so they, they rewrote it, and it ended up being a huge hit. So I, I thought that was interesting, though. Wow, man, that was some good background intel that I did not have when I talked about that a few episodes back. But yeah. right, man, this is definitely in the Seinfeld canon. It's one of the select few and certainly oh, yeah. a nice place. The, the whole, like, not that there's anything all of it, it's just uh, like an amazing piece of, of Seinfeld. Love that one. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you, man. I love that one, obviously. And it just still it stands the test of time still like it's just one of those classic signs where you, you flip it on now and it's just it still resonates Absolutely. Um, all right i'll hit you with one that i'm actually assuming you'll have coming up soon as well but i might as well continue our streak of me getting it out of the way first i'm gonna hit yeah. you with a two-part episode season three episode 33 and 34 i know where you're going with this yes you do because we actually recently talked about it Wait for it. That would be the boyfriend, everyone. Oh, wait! Actually, I was not thinking you were going with the boyfriend. I thought you were going to go with something else. So yeah, uh, let's, let's hear it. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I really think this is kind of when we start seeing Seinfeld really hit its stride. And I'll give a quick synopsis. Uh, George, Jerry, and Kramer start off the episode. They're playing some hoops, and they actually get into an argument about whether or not George is a, a chucka when they play pickup. <laughs> Yeah. George is adamant that he's not a chucka. Anyway, so they bump into <laughs> Keith Hernandez, former New York Met star in the in the locker room. Jerry strikes up a friendship with them. And then the two-part episode revolves around, one, Jerry's kind of like newfound friendship with him, but then also Hernandez ends up going out on a date with Elaine. And yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's a great episode, man. The highlight for everyone always is, is that Kramer – swears that Hernandez spat on him and Newman right. back in 1987. Um, when, you know, we finally get to the monologue at the end of episode two, it turns out that Hernandez says Roger McDowell, relief pitcher for the Mets, was actually the the second spitter. And they were... The second doing, spitter. Right. Yeah. Shooter or whatever, right? It's, they were playing up the JFK <laughs> movie, which had recently come out. And, yeah. and then, you know, I think Jerry says, like, you know, why would he do that? And then, you know, Wayne's, or pardon me, not Wayne, it's Wayne Knight, the actor, but Newman yeah. says probably because they were, you know, poured beer on his head in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that one was good. Um, I love that too part. I think I was watching some some stuff there where, uh, oh, actually, you had sent me that where it was the Keith Hernandez interview about that, that episode, yeah. right? Where I think he, I think they paid him like 15K. Seemed like a great gig. He was like nervous as hell, though, because. <laughs> He thought he just had a bit piece. Right. He ended up being like like a very, very main character in those. And he even had a scene where he was um, kissing Elaine and her husband's on set. And out of that, it's pretty, pretty nuts there. Um, he plays it up a little bit on, I know, it's kind of weird, right? Plays it up a little bit on MLB TV. Uh, I, was seeing, I saw an interview where they asked him, like, oh, I was kissing Elaine and everything. He's like, I had messed it up. I messed up the tapes on purpose. He was kidding, obviously, because he in the interview he said he didn't. But um, yeah, and he got that famous line where he's like, "I'm Keith Hernandez." Right, yeah, it's a big spot for him. Yeah, it's the name of his book, even. And yeah, I love that USA Today kind of recap, which came out a few weeks ago, where you know he was saying yeah. it's a gift that keeps on giving, where he still gets a few thousand bucks each year and and um, residual yeah. for it. And 
Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go through this real quick though. So would it be weirder if you're Keith Hernandez making out with Julia Louis Dreyfus while her husband's there, or is it? It's still got to be weirder to be the husband, right? Watching your wife get macked on. Yeah, yeah, it's auto husband. I mean, it's full, it's it's weird for everyone involved. Where, where's Julia? What's the ranking on weirdness there? Is it? it it's got to be most uncomfortable for the husband, and then I mean, Julia's got to be next, right? Uh no, no, I'm still going with the other guy because it's just like that's just weird, man, to like be doing that in front of um. I think it's easiest on Elaine because yeah. it's pardon me, Julia Louis Dreyfus, just because you know it's like it's just part of the scene, like you know, it's, what are you gonna do? Good job. But, yeah, but like afterwards, like how do you talk to the guys, or yeah, how do you talk to the husband about it? Like after that, it's just I feel yeah. like it's just completely torpedoes yeah. any sort of joke. It, it does. I mean, like although to be fair, it's not like they were like naked in bed together. It wasn't <laughs> didn't quite to that degree. It's just yeah, it's kissed in the car, and like it's not like a it's not like a steamy makeout scene. I think it's one of those things where they're kissing, but I I don't remember it exactly. But they they you know they, the camera might go a certain angle where it's, it might just be like a. Yeah, it was a big makeout kiss or anything. No, you're right. It was definitely it was a tame one, but just uh, awkward all around. But look, bravo to them for oh, that going was a great. One. I, I like that one. Yeah, coming out with a good episode here. Um, uh, also, wow. so, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, you said something interesting though. You said um, two parts. I don't remember this one being two parts. Yeah, it's a two part episode, and. Um, yeah, according to the USA Today thing that we both read, it sounds like Larry David and Seinfeld really had a lot of confidence in this one because they angled it to where this was coming out during Sweeps Week, which is you know every time you're trying to like really boost your ratings. Yeah, and they they kind of right. knew that they had a real you know a real hit right here, and they they were right. Oh, definitely, and uh, it's just crazy how just timing and smaller things that are a little more out of your control have a big difference. Because I think in that same USA Today piece we were reading, I read something like, Seinfeld didn't really take off until they moved slots. They used to be, I think it was after Cheers, or no, they were they're after a different show. And like, no one really ever watched it. It wasn't until I think they moved after Cheers, where a lot of people were watching Cheers, and then Seinfeld followed it directly that people really, like, it started taking off, basically. And right. uh, I'm into what it is today. So it's, it's just kind of cool how those things work out. And um, I mean, it's obviously great that we've been able to enjoy it so much. No doubt. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing where we're, we're really getting up there now. I'm looking forward to seeing what you got up for number four. Um, I'm looking forward to this next Rotopope piece you got coming out. Anything else worth plugging before we get out of here? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the next list that we'll go through is curb and then, uh, some ideas from our listeners too, if they want to hear us kind of count down anything interesting or uh, maybe even some engagement there where uh, we can kind of do a collaboration with someone else on that. Sounds good, bud. Well, good stuff. Once again, wrote a Pope and uh, we'll catch up with everyone next week. Yeah. Sounds good, John. You have a good one. Thanks for listening. Yeah.